You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you all today. This third week of Advent, Joy Sunday. Thank you, Craig, for reading and leading us in that prayer. Matthew's Gospel tells us, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother, Mary. They saw, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence this morning. We welcome you in this place. Be the star this morning that leads us to the very heart of what Jesus has for us. Cut through the noise and the distractions and the fatigue even of the season. Beckon us with your loving kindness and draw us into the joy of your kingdom. And then may our lives be the gift that we give back to you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So our Advent sermon series right now is called Finding Family. And we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew and the story of Jesus' birth, his coming, his Advent. And we're considering how God formed Jesus in his first earthly family, and then how God continued to form Jesus' extended family, and how he continues to invite each of us today to become part of the family of God. Because the whole purpose of Jesus coming, if I could sum it up in a phrase or a sentence, is to put God's broken family back together. Jesus is the one who's come to do it. So today, I invite you into the joy, the joy of finding family, our extended family within the family of faith. And I hope you'll be able to enter in with your imagination as we retell the part in the story where the Magi find Jesus. So not much is known about these men that we often call the three kings or translate them wise men. They're called magi. Um, But from what we know, they were like priests, more like priests than they were scholar priests, but they weren't just scholar priests. They were scholar priests who understood the cosmos and watched the stars and understood that stars had cycles And they believed that the cycles of the stars actually foretold mystical, magical, important events in the world. So basically, they were astrologers. And these astrologers noticed some unusual star in the sky that had never quite occurred like this before, and they knew Something was new, something was special. And because of the certain stars that it was, many people believe, um, like a king star, 
in astrology, a king star and a, um, and a god star aligned. And so that's how they knew that, um, and to make a big star, and that's how they knew that this was really an important big deal. And it also says that these men came from the east. But if they came from Bethlehem, which is in the Middle East, they came east, came from east of the Middle East. And oftentimes it's portrayed as these three dudes <laughs> on camels, but probably it was these three very wealthy, um, learned men with an entire entourage, maybe wives and children, all coming from the east to the Middle East. And Matthew says this about them. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Let's not miss this. Let's not miss this part, this very short line. God presents the world with a sign, an invitation, a star, an unusual star. And because they were already watching, they notice. Their hearts are open already, and so because they see and they discover, and they allow joy to rise within them, they accept this invitation without like squashing it with excuses like, oh, I'm too busy for this right now to take a big trip west. Or, uh, gosh, that's going to be really expensive to get my wives and kids some rented camels to get this trip done. <laughs> or maybe I'm just making this up. You know, have you ever said any of those? I know I've used all of those excuses. So many opportunities I have missed because I was being really practical. But they didn't miss it because they took time to watch and wait and notice and allow the joy to rise within them. They didn't push it away with the practicalities. I um, get the opportunity here to um, lead a course called the Alpha Course. And Alpha is designed for people who um, are new to faith or on the front end of their faith journey, people who are asking questions about faith and really want a safe place to truly ask questions without being um, like forced to conform. And I love that. And so one of the questions that often comes up in our circle as we're just encouraging people, like, what do you really struggle with? What are you really asking? People will say, well, how can a good, loving God allow such evil in this world? And I get that. I ask that question myself. I look around at the way that the world is, and it's not a simple question to answer. But one thing that I notice is that the entire arc of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation, we see a story. We see a story of a loving God who keeps wanting to break in, wanting to intervene, and a God who continues to invite human beings to be part of the intervention. And then we see humans who join him in that, and we see humans who decide not to. When God puts an invitation in my sky, do I notice? 
do you notice? Some of us are so busy. We live in such a fast-paced culture, so much so that you hear that all the time. We're busy, we're busy. It's a fast-paced culture, it's a fast-paced culture. How do we break that? I don't know. I don't have the answer. (laughs) But we miss the best because we're doing all the good. There's a resistance movement in our culture. Apparently, it's been around since the 80s. I didn't know this. I just learned this this week. It's called the slow movement. Everybody else has already heard of this? Have you heard of the slow movement? Okay, the youngest person in the room just raised her hand. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay, so there's this movement called the slow movement, and um, branches that have broken off of the slow movement are like the slow food movement and the slow travel movement and the slow fashion movement, and even city planners are now talking about the slow city movement, where people within these subgroups are interested in taking the best and the most whole and the most wholesome versions of things and slowing down enough to truly enjoy them and not just moving on to the next thing. Jesus, invites us into the slow soul movement. He says later in the book of Matthew, are you tired? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus invites us into a slow soul movement. And in this place, we find the benefits of silence and solitude and spaciousness in things like centering prayer and contemplative prayer and taking a true and biblical Sabbath day. Things like receiving spiritual direction, receiving slow, soaking, healing prayer. These are slow spiritual practices for a reason, because they free us from the need to produce something. They free us from the need for productivity. This is what I walked out of this with, my thing, and now I'm moving on to the next. And they say, no, slow, and wait, and enjoy, and savor, and watch, and wait, And don't miss the star. So he invites us, and I invite you, take space right now. Ask the Holy Spirit right now as you sit and listen. And if the rest of the what you're doing for the rest of the time that I'm up here is you talking with the Spirit of God, that's great. But ask him. What in your life might stand in the way of you being able to slow down and notice? What in your life might be in the way of you being able to allow hope and joy to rise? The Magi show us it's about being before it was about the going. It was about the being before it was about the doing. But then, Matthew tells us 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. So we know that they did the waiting, but they also did the receiving of the invitation, and they did the going, because they get here. They come to the house, they see the child with his mother Mary, and they bow down and they worship him. They choose to take this special journey. And really, as I was putting myself in their shoes this week, I was thinking about, like, they were really putting themselves out there. They don't know where they're going. They don't know to whom they are going. He's supposed to be a really big deal according to the signs in the sky. They're really putting themselves out there with their time, with their expenses, and really kind of with their ego, like, how will the king receive me? What will it be like? Maybe they won't even let me in the door. But what happens next? God brings them to this meek little family, a mother and a son who received them. And so then the Magi stop and worship. And they become, even if only temporarily, I mean, they made this big journey I doubt they were there for five minutes, (laughs) you know? Like, think about it, you're making this big, long journey. I don't know how long was customary for people to stay in the presence of a king when you're coming to give homage, but it's probably more than five minutes if you're gonna travel for weeks. And so they become, if only temporarily, part of this family, part of this family of faith, like a household together, maybe, Um, Jesus' spiritual uncles for a moment, Mary's spiritual brothers, they know that this is a big deal, even as Mary and Jesus wonder, like, what is happening to us? Paul, in in the book to the Galatians, in his letter to the Galatians, calls the church the household of faith or the family of believers. And I believe we have an invitation here to be both like the Magi and like the Holy Family. We can put ourselves out there like the Magi and find family like they did. And we can become like Mary and Jesus who receive the people, the strange people that come to us. And I wonder, where do you feel the, the resistance to the invitation? You know, as a pastor, I hear lots of stories. People share things with me, and it's a great honor and a great privilege to hear these stories. But many of the stories are stories about damage and trauma and the baggage that we carry And a lot of us still need healing, and that's okay. But we need the healing because it prevents us from finding family, true family within the family of faith. And some of us, we're still just deeply wounded by our past experiences, whether with its, it, our earthly families, whether it's be with our um, spiritual families, our past church families, Is it harder for you 
to put yourself out there and make the move to find family, this household of faith, a community of believers to be formed with. Or is it harder for you to warmly welcome people who come when they come, as they come? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But it's a challenge that um, I see that presents itself in Scripture to us. One that's worth wrestling with. Because we have agency. We have the freedom to choose to participate in this arc of God's intervention in the world. And someday he's going to put it all back to right. All of it. He's coming back and he's going to fix it all. But in the meantime, do we want to live in the less good or move towards the good that he promises is coming to fullness someday? Psalm 86.6 says, God sets the orphans in families. He sets the lonely in families. That's the nature of God, bringing his broken family of humanity and all of creation, really, back together. That's what he wants to do for us. But we must say yes, both to the invitation and to the receiving, the reception of others when they come to us. Then Matthew recounts, then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I always wondered what frankincense and myrrh were, so I ordered some on Amazon a couple weeks ago. <laughs> My family gets these packages and they're like, what is this? <laughs> it looks like giant unground um, like rocks of salt, you know? But it's because it's a, um, I guess you guys probably already all know this, but I just recently learned that it's the sap of trees, some special trees. And so the sap gets like, I don't know, collected, and um, you can buy it in um, like granular form. And um, so I opened this frankincense and I was expecting some like, spiritual moment, you know, as I opened it in the, the room, I was hoping it would just like waft into the room, like, oh, this is the, what the wise men, you know, to be transported. And I opened it, and I was like, smells kind of mm, citrusy. <laughs> but to them, it was a rare and special gift. And I mean, they didn't have the industrial age with all of our really strong, powerful perfumes and smells. I mean, they really were relying on nature to provide them. And um, it can also be like distilled even down into oils. And I, I meant to bring mine. I have frankincense and myrrh and a little oil, and I meant to bring it today. But these gifts, even though I don't understand them, I'm just totally out of context, were treasures in that time. And they gave from the treasures that they had. I also wondered, like, 
did they have to go? They knew, oh gosh, we, got, we can't show up without frankincense and myrrh. Um, so they had to go trade or borrow, like, hey, could you lend me some frankincense? I'm all out and I gotta go visit a king this month. <laughs> okay, okay, here you go, here's a scoop, but that's it. That's all you get until you pay me back. But they did, they showed up with these treasures and the only ones that we know of for sure are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we know that these were valuable and precious and worth bringing to a king. And it was a costly journey for them. And we also have treasures to give. I could give a little frankincense now because I have some. But I don't think that's what Jesus is asking of me. You have treasures to give. Beautiful treasures. You have spiritual gifts to offer. You have time to offer. We all get that same 24 hours a day. You have talents to share. You have income, financial means. All of these things we can present, we can open our treasures. And maybe you're thinking, well, I have time, but I don't really have an income. I don't have a lot of money. I'll just give time. Or I have a lot of money, but I really have no emotional anything to give right now. I'll just give money and I'll move on. Whatever your reason or excuse or reservation, I would invite you to open your heart to the idea that there is something even more valuable you could give. And I would encourage you to invite Jesus, allow Jesus to speak to you. Allow Jesus to let you, help you reconsider what that might be. If he might be asking for a different treasure than the one that's easiest to give the one you might kind of have to go out of your way to give. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost us. I love the story of King David. It's in 2 Samuel, where he wants to make a sacrifice to the Lord to thank him. And so this man comes, and he wants to gift David. I almost said Garrett. He wants to gift... <laughs> gift to David, King David. If you know my family, you would understand that. Um, he wants to gift David, King David, um, like all these gifts to make as a sacrifice. And David replies, no. I insist on paying the price, he says, for I will not offer the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. your gift to Jesus, family, your gift to Jesus, who is the king of kings, is partly fulfilled in and through the ways that you present the gifts you have to the family of faith. I'm going to say it again. The gift 
your gift to Jesus is partly fulfilled in and through the ways that you present your gifts to this family of faith. That's what it means to be part of a family. Paul's full statement that I alluded to earlier in in the um, letter to the Galatians is, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers, the household of faith. So what is the treasure? I can't tell you what your treasure is to give I maybe could sit with you and we could talk about it and we could maybe co-discern together. But in this moment, in this time, I'm looking out at a whole lot of souls and you know the things that God has gifted to you and you know the things that you have and maybe you don't know all the things God's gifted you with and he wants to show you something new that you've never discovered before that you have. Oh, that is that frankincense in my back pocket I didn't realize I had all along. We have gifts to give, and it's Jesus, by the Spirit of God, who helps us discern what those are for each of us individually. And so my challenge is big, but it's also vague because it's supposed to be specific to each of us in here, because the Spirit of God knows. He knows what we have to give. He knows what we need to give. But it's not going to be something that costs you nothing. Surely it will cost you. But the invitation is to open your treasures and offer gold, frankincense, and myrrh, whatever that means for you. And again, it's your choice. You have agency in that decision. If I can leave you with one thing today before we move into a time of worship, and communion is available on on either side as well, that you're welcome to come up during worship and receive communion. If I can leave you with one main thought, one main idea, it's that God puts spiritual families together. It's his desire to bring us together. And at least for this hour, if not for 10 years, this is the family of faith to which he's brought you. And there is deep joy in finding family. And sometimes he invites us to seek people out to become part of our family, our extended family. And sometimes he invites us to receive the people that come to us. So stop and wait and watch the sky for the invitations. Take notice. Let joy rise and accept the invitations as they come. Amen? Amen.